Hey, welcome to Bruce Culture. I'm your host, Evan Schwab. I own the gaming site Big Cultures, and I'm an aspiring Cicero. I'm here to help you pair quality craft beers with great games in order to maximize your leisure time. We'll talk about some of the best breweries and their histories alongside the ins and outs of games and the gaming industry. So stop in, take a load off, and enjoy excellent brews with us as we explore two of the most profitable business industries. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 21 of Brews Culture. I am Evan Schwab, and it's been a while. Spent a few weeks incapacitated, a few weeks pretty ill, Um, and then my daughter spent a few days in the hospital. So it's been a bit of a ride, you know, but hopefully we're back at it for quite a bit of time and let's hit hit the ground running. I mean, there's been, there's been just almost an overload of information, updates, crazy news that has occurred since the last episode. I mean, Amazon launched its first successful video game in the MMO, massively multiplayer online RPG, New World, you know, and, and that game is pretty solid. I enjoy it. It's uh, it's definitely unique compared to many MMORPGs. You know, there's there's some pretty interesting economics of the game. I guess politics, I suppose you could call it. Um, there's a really interesting war aspect to the game. You know, it's a solid effort. Good for Amazon for finally putting out a game that uh, was well received. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, people enjoy it. The thing I like about New World is you pay, I believe it's like 40 bucks, 40 or 50 bucks for the for the download. And then there's no monthly fee. Obviously, to, to make up the difference, there's a plethora of in-game items you can buy, outfits, you know, different looks, all that good stuff, which keeps the free-to-play games afloat. You know, for those... One of the biggest complaints always with MMORPGs are that they cost, you know, X amount of dollars a month to be subscribed to. And people don't understand why they need to be paying money monthly to play a game. And and I totally get it. I mean, it's not like that system's without any faults. It sure has plenty of them. But it does cost a, a decent amount of money to keep your servers up, to you know, continuously put out new content for the games. Any sort of work that's done on the game costs money, you know? So, you know, the, the monthly service never fees never really particularly bothered me, but I totally understand people who either don't play because of them or aren't happy about it. <laughs> Obviously, free-to-play would be great, but for me, and, and for the most part, and this isn't every situation, but for me, free-to-play MMORPGs always feel like they're lacking something. And it's not because of the the microtransactions and all that stuff. It just never felt... <clears throat> and and, the, and I come from a time when MMORPGs were very, you know, they're a dime a dozen. Paid RPG, MMORPGs, free-to-play MMORPGs, you name it. From, I mean, growing up, I started with, I guess World of Warcraft was probably, no, 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 no. Final Fantasy XI was my first 
MMORPG. And the reason, I believe, was because World of Warcraft came out and it was sold out everywhere. So Final Fantasy XI, which is a series that I've always loved uh, as a kid, basically from, I don't know, elementary school on. So, you know, got Final Fantasy XI, loved it. The uh, The pay system, however, for that MMORPG is still unique to this day, and I'm not a huge fan of it. Then it was World of Warcraft. And, you know, those are two extraordinarily successful games, both still running today. I, I believe I was a sophomore when I got Final Fantasy XI and wasn't too much older when World of Warcraft came out. So... You know, that's that's basically, you know, two of the best MMOs, arguably, you know, uh, it's all subjective. But if you think about how long they've been running and how many players have played them, they're two of the most successful MMORPGs ever. And they're both really good. My personal favorite of those two is Eleven, but that's honestly personal preference. And I totally understand those who prefer WoW. Now, with that said, you know, I played Lineage 2, City of Heroes. Jeez, I'm trying to think of other pay-to-play games. You know, I played RF Online for a month or two. I can't remember if that was free. It is free to play now. But, you know, you all those, those games, they all had a certain feel to them. And then you played free-to-play games back in the day like uh, Silk Road Online. And, and it was fun and mindless and there were microtransactions but there like there was just it felt like it had no soul now obviously they're in a much better place today i believe you know developers have figured out that hey we can make a crap ton more money if we have microtransactions instead of monthly fees and I've, I've, i can't see how they're wrong if you look at free to play games let's look at uh, genshin impact for example uh, the subject of one of our podcast episodes, you know, many, many months ago. I would have to find the list, but recently there was a um, a chart release that showed the amount of money people spent on character banners. So Genshin's a gotcha game. Basically, you can earn in-game currencies and use that currency to summon or make wishes is what it's called. And, and what that does is basically... If you if you save up enough of your prima gems, a currency, or or your orbs that you can get from various tasks and the battle pass, you can use them to either pull single pulls or it's it's your chances of getting rare characters or items improves with a with a pull of ten. And then obviously you're trying for a five star character, five star weapon. Uh, and then every so often, about like every twenty days or so, there's a new banner character. So you only have a short amount of time uh, unless that character comes back around like Child Tartaglia has a couple times now. But there was a chart released that showed the exorbitant amount of money people have spent on Genshin Impact and which banners have pulled the most amount of money. So like every time a new banner comes out and the character is rumored to be pretty awesome, people will drop some pretty serious cash on those banners. Now, that said... Uh, Genshin Impact is probably one of the best examples of how successfully the developers are able to update the game. So they update it very regularly and continue to add content to it 
basically every new banner. There, it feels like there's something new. Now, obviously, recently there's been a huge update, so there's an entire new area of the map that was added to the game. But uh, developers, I think, and Genshin being that example, um, have realized there's just a lot more money to make on microtransactions. So it's kind of done away for the most part with subscription-based MMORPGs. Um, you know, obviously there's still, like I said, World of Warcraft, Final Fantasy XI, Final Fantasy XIV is wildly popular now, uh, which which is awesome because it's probably my personal favorite MMO of, of all time. But New World <laughs> kind of falls in between those two. It is free to play monthly, but you have to pay your upfront costs of, you know, 40 or 50 bucks, which may seem steep to some people for a game that has microtransactions like that within it. You know, games like Genshin Impact and other MMOs that are free to play are typically free to download and then you pay for the microtransactions. So, you know, this one's a little bit different, but New World also feels more fleshed out than many of the other free to play MMO experiences. So, so that happened, um, you know, in the break, and I really wanted to talk about this at the time, but I was just absolutely unable to record my podcast. But China made it so that anyone under the age of 18 cannot play more than three hours of video games a week. And those three hours must be confined to the weekend. They believe that it is highly addictive and that it ruins productivity in you know, children. I get it. I get, I mean, I get the, I get the reasoning, but you know, taking away freedoms like that is something that we're not typically used to here. But I mean, it's, it's just kind of wild if you think about it, you know, kids in America and really around the world play video games and kind of take them for granted. So when they're taken away like that, it's, it really is interesting, interesting and scary, which kind of segues perfectly into our combination or pairing for this podcast. Fortunately, I am able to get this out in October. Unfortunately, it will be the only one that will fit in October. And I do apologize for that. I was very excited to hit October and just have four weeks worth of horror games because they are some of my favorite games. And uh, unfortunately, you know, life did not want me to share that this year. So Hopefully next year, hopefully there will be a next year because I love horror games and I think that October, you know, September, October, November is just a time filled with really good beers that are just so much fun to drink in the fall. My wife and I were talking about this the other day and we'll get back to the games real quick, but just how the weather right now is perfect for a fire in the fireplace you know, a nice IPA to warm you up, or in her case, a glass of red wine, you know, just a, a nice little meal together with the family, the our son and our daughter, and, you know, just to, just to enjoy life. And so, you know, I, it's something that I like to share with you guys. Yeah. So since I had to condense all of Halloween, all of the horror into one post... Well, actually, what what I'm, what we'll do is we'll talk about a few of the beers I had picked out, or at least one of the beers I had picked out, and we'll talk about a few of the the horror games that I particularly enjoy this 
this season. So we originally had picked out a Goose Island Oktoberfest. That was supposed to be our first beer in the lineup of beers. And, you know, it's it's your your typical Meritzen beer. Pretty delicious. You know, if you if it's still available by you, you know, I'd, I'd recommend it. If you're a fan of Oktoberfest style beers, your Meritzen beers, it's pretty, pretty standard affair and well worth your drink. You know, I'm a fan of of Ohio beer. The actual beer was never purchased uh, because I was incapacitated for such a long time. But I would have picked local, either Oktoberfest or some sort of seasonal beer to do for the second episode. And then the game had been picked out for the third, but I knew I wasn't going to get around to recording enough episodes in October. So there was no final beer. But the beer we're going to use today is New Belgium's Voodoo Ranger series Atomic Pumpkin, and we'll get back to that. It's a terrific little beer, and I very much enjoy drinking it, but we'll we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that with our pairing, which is Silent Hill 2. Um, but before we do that, let's take a look at a few horror games that I recommend. <laughs> so, and these may come up in future episodes, uh, may come up next year, but we wanted to, uh, you know, talk about the Silent Hill franchise, which is what we're going to do today. Resident Evil 7 is probably one of my favorite, if not my favorite, Resident Evil games. The VR version is just terrific. And really, actually, there isn't much better when it comes to the horror genre and gaming than VR horror games. There's There's just something about the experience about the authenticity of the experience that you know it's just so immersive Uh, if you've never experienced vr and you don't have any severe motion sickness i would try to find one to just even test out you know i have a playstation vr i got it pretty shortly after it launched and one of the first games that i played on it was hopefully i don't butcher this but i think it's called those who remain it was a black and white first person like psychological thriller and it was just breathtaking you know outside of vr it'd probably be a very average game but inside it's just like vr is such a beautiful experience such a enthralling experience man i was hooked for for a while unfortunately with vr there isn't a ton of support but resident evil 7 was that AAA support that really gave VR a shot in the arm, and it was phenomenal. I mean, you know, there's something about the perception of the human mind that, at least for me, when I had the headset on and Mia got in your face, Mia being Ethan Winner's girlfriend, you know, right at the beginning of the game, she's infected, and she... You know, you see her corrupted form and she gets in your face and it's like you can feel her breath on you. And I don't know if it was because I'm situated close to the AC vent or if it's just, you know, a mind trick. But man, it just gets so intense. And there's there's a level of fear is not the right word, but there's a level of intensity that I think kind of follows you, you know, Typically, horror games are, are, they're good. I love them, but they don't typically scare me. 
but in VR, when you're like there, there's there's that there's that little bit of hesitation when you're rounding a corner or when you're hopping into water. You know, there's there's just that little little tug at the back of your mind that is like maybe you should be careful going around this corner or submerging yourself in this water or opening this door. And you know, anything where you know in a horror game something's going to happen. And in VR that that intensity is just cranked up to 11. It's it's palpable and it's it's just a terrific experience. Uh, Resident Evil 7, if you have not played it on VR, I highly recommend you do so. But yeah, so then you've got uh, one of my favorite franchises is the Fear First Encounter Assault Recon, which were a series of first-person shooters gener two generations ago at this point that just I really enjoyed them, thoroughly enjoyed them. And then the newest one that I haven't gotten into yet. Well, actually, before we talk about that, there is a, a game also recently that launched called Tormented Souls. Played it for a little bit, but it is styled after classic horror games like Silent Hill, Resident Evil. Uh, feels very similar, has a very similar acting approach, but it is a cool, you know, if you're if you're a big fan of, of retro horror, check out Tormented Souls. It's for sure on the PS5, I don't know if it's on any of the other consoles off the top of my head, but... It's a cool little experience. But the game that I'm really interested in checking out doesn't even sound like a horror game at all. It's called the Doki Doki Literature Club. Maybe someone listening to this podcast has played it or knows what it is. But it's the only game with a warning on the back of the label that says this game is not appropriate for children and for those who do not like disturbing content or something like that so this doki doki literature club i believe it's a visual novel for those who don't know what that is it's essentially like playing a comic book uh, except you get to typically interact a little bit more than you would with a comic book but i believe it's a psychological horror game that apparently gets pretty disturbing and i'm very interested to hop into it I'm not typically a visual novel fan but I just there's this this might be personally one of the most intriguing games that kind of came out of nowhere for me. Um, and maybe it's an established title, you know, like I don't I get so many you know, reviews and, and games that cross my desk, hop into my email, all of that, that it's easy for me to miss uh, something like this or or if it's something that doesn't typically make its way out of Japan or really into the West, it doesn't necessarily have to be out of Japan, but if it's something that typically doesn't make it out of the West, you know, I think most average gamers would perhaps miss that. But maybe I'm just wrong. <laughs> I don't know. Either way, it is really intriguing. Hopefully, I can get my stream deck working and we can stream it. We had some technical issues as far as Twitch goes. We still stream, but our Elgato is having some uh, significant issues. So we're working on replacing that. Yeah, so our pairing for today is New Belgium's Atomic Pumpkin, which is part of the Voodoo Ranger series. It is obviously a seasonal release. It says special release. The special is crossed out and it has spicy written on top of it. And it is for sure spicy. It is a 6.4% beer. 
and it is very orange coloration. And actually, if you look up a picture of the can or if you check out the, um, the image on the, uh, you know, the podcast image, the beer actually is pretty close to the orange that the can is. Yeah, so it's Atomic Pumpkin, 6.4%. I, I like a good pumpkin beer, but my pumpkin beer... Typically, I will like my pumpkin beer to be very mild in the pumpkin flavor. There used to be a Jack's Pumpkin Spice, I believe it was called, or Jack's Pumpkin Ale. I can't remember off the top of my head which uh, brewery used to make it. I don't know if they make it anymore. I haven't seen it in probably half a decade, so I'm guessing it doesn't exist anymore. But that was that was a really good pumpkin ale. You know, it had had its spices, had its its unique flavor. And then the pumpkin was like just subtle at the back of your mouth in the aftertaste. But Atomic Pumpkin would typically probably be a beer that I don't necessarily prefer. And, and what that means is the if you've ever had a beer that is high in pumpkin flavor, which you might like and, and anybody might like, and that's awesome. You know, if you like a pumpkin beer, you like a pumpkin beer. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But for me, an overpowering pumpkin taste mixed with the taste of, of, you know, your typical ale or whatever you're having. Sometimes just, it just doesn't sit right in my mouth, I guess. But this one, uh, Atomic Pumpkin, is it is very pumpkin-y. But it is offset, that pumpkin taste is offset because it is also made with cinnamon and chilies. And you definitely feel the spices when you're drinking it. You know, your mouth feel in this, it's very, very, you know, <laughs> almost sharp. But it is a very pleasant pumpkin flavor on its way down, pumpkin and cinnamon. But the, the chilies leave like a tingling sensation in the back of your throat in the aftertaste that really spices no pun intended but it really spices the 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 beverage up you know i think on its own if if it did not have the chilies if it didn't have that kick at the end of the drink it would be a pretty average beer you know it'd be a solid beer uh that tasted like pumpkin and that would be that but the kick in the end kind of neutralizes the the aftertaste, you know, you've got you've got that nice little taste of pumpkin and cinnamon going down. And for me, that would make this beer a very slow drink because overpowering my my palate with pumpkin flavors is something that I'm not a huge fan of, but would be, <laughs> you know, it would still be enjoyable, but it would be something that I would drink very slowly. But this with that kick at the end. It kind of scoots that pumpkin cinnamon flavor out of the forefront of your, you know, your taste and leaves this kind of spicy tingliness in your throat. And it, it, it really, it complements the flavor extremely well. <clears throat> and yeah, I mean, I, I really like it. Now, you know, if you, if you enjoy spicy things, this beer is not going to like knock your socks off. <laughs> it's not like it's you know, the 911 wings at the Winking Lizard that are like the top of the chart spicy, but it it does have a kick. And it's it's a kick that I don't think anybody really expects when drinking a beer. But it, it for whatever reason, it works extremely well. You know, it's it's definitely not your pumpkin spice latte, but it is a pumpkin spice beer. Emphasis on the spice. And so 
this powerful, powerful pumpkin beer actually brought me to Silent Hill. So for me, there aren't many franchises. I don't know if there are any franchises that do horror better than Silent Hill did. As as of right now, Silent Hill is still on a hiatus. Unfortunately, the Kojima Guillermo del Toro combo of Silent Hills starring Norman Reedus was essentially killed by the Konami Fallout, which, by the way, if you played PT or you know anything about the Silent Hills project, it had such incredible potential that it still hurts all of these years later. I mean, what was that? That had to have been at least five years ago, PT, if not more. I don't think I was married yet. Man, I mean, that game, the the PT, the, the, the playable teaser, as it was called, was so good and so clever. It was a series of, it was first person, it was a series of puzzles, of exploration, of some of the best horror sequences that I've played in a long time. And this is just a demo. But it also required like, and I'm not sure if any of these have ever been confirmed, but it required people to like work together. So like the, the idea was kind of for one section of the game was for you to be making noise enough that the next piece would trigger. So it was kind of, I think, built with the idea of streaming it in mind because the from what I remember, and I did finish this, but it wasn't it wasn't via stream. I had to hook up a microphone and talk into the microphone to uh, trigger the next piece of the puzzle. But you had to. Uh, I think the idea was to to be a streamer and and be speaking with your audience and be speaking with other players to kind of figure out what you were doing in the in the the demo and it was it was just a brilliant execution and then the ending is Norman Reedus exiting the house that he had been stuck in a loop in and walking out into the city of Silent Hills it was so good but anyway you know the entire franchise of Silent Hill really has left me with no complaints from the original to well okay uh, Get get rid of the Vita one that wasn't wasn't really a Silent Hill game. But the other games, they're they're just they're brilliant. In fact, Silent Hill 2 and 3 were huge pieces of inspiration to me when I wrote my book, along with Jacob's Ladder and, and a few other pieces of of terrific psychological horror. For this case and we may we may end up using other silent hill games in future episodes but for this particular episode i went with it's not my favorite silent hill game but it is in my top i don't know top three top two (laughs) but for this case we went with silent hill 2 the reason being is that it's often considered the pinnacle the best entry and it is extremely good my personal favorite is Silent Hill 3. There's just something about that atmosphere that is haunting. But Silent Hill 2 is really just a masterclass of storytelling, of horror, of gameplay. 
This game came out about 20 years ago. I believe it came out in 2001, published by Konami, Silent Hill 2. You play as James Sunderland, and your wife Mary has unfortunately died. A few years later, you actually receive a letter from your late wife asking you to return to Silent Hill. So, the beginning of the game is, is James rolling up to Silent Hill. And from there on, he enters this corrupt world of, of Silent Hill. Now, for those of you who don't know, Silent Hill 2, in particular, was... And, and let, me, let me stop right here and just say, we will be talking about spoilers. We won't ruin the ending of the game, but you will hear a number of spoilers. The game's 20 years old, so most people have most likely played it. But Silent Hill 2 is such a brilliant concept. So James goes to Silent Hill after being beckoned by his wife. And the entirety of Silent Hill morphs to symbolize James. The enemies, the world, everything kind of symbolizes and reflects the guilt, the pain, the suffering that James has gone through at the passing of his wife. And I love that. It is so dark and so powerful that, you know, you just really sympathize with, with James. The, the most iconic Silent Hill character... In existence, his pyramid head, and he originated in Silent Hill 2 as a manifestation of James's guilt, his personal guilt that his wife tragically passed away. It's just such a good concept, but immaculate presentation, immaculate execution. But not only that, I mean, right, it's a horror game, and that's it's extremely deep, you know? The game itself is also a lot of fun to play, but it's also creepy as hell. You know, and, and for a game from 20 years ago, and actually uh, Silent Hill 2 and 3 were re-released as an HD remaster on the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. So if you have a PS3 or 360, and, and it, don't quote me on this because the... Uh, Xbox One backwards compatibility list really makes no sense to me. But I would imagine the remaster on the Xbox 360 would work on your Xbox One or Series S X. But double check on the Microsoft website to make sure it, it in fact does so. But Silent Hill 2 for 20 years ago, right? It still is extremely creepy. And there are a number of retro games that did not age well. You know, for me, Clock Tower, none of the Clock Tower games, not that they were ever particularly impressive to me, but I don't think they aged very well. You know, a lot of the old horror games are kind of hurt by shoddy graphics, poor storytelling. I mean, look at Resident Evil 1 with its just abysmal voice acting. You know, Silent Hill 2 really holds up. Now, Silent Hill 2 also had really bad voice acting. Like, well, let's not lie. And I may be, uh, I may be, in trouble for saying that because I do believe it has a cult following of sorts of the voice acting. The HD remaster cast Troy Baker 
as James Sunderland. And uh, Troy Baker just does a banging job on it. It really made the experience that much better for me because I'm a big Troy Baker fan. Oh, and speaking of Troy Baker, you ever want to come talk about video games and beer? Be more than happy to have you. But Silent Hill 2 is just... I know I say 3 is my favorite, and it is. And we can talk about that one in a future episode. But everything is executed just so well in uh, Silent Hill 2. And the premise is beautifully lame. The symbolism and all of the metaphors, the ideas are just so thoughtfully... I don't want to say executed again. They're just so thoughtfully born, you know. Their their ideas they've they've grown, they've developed, and then they're they're born onto, you know, this canvas. And it is it's just an incredible experience. And and you know it's it's been since the uh, the remaster since I've played them. To be fair, but that wasn't that long ago, and they still held up then. And I would imagine they still hold up today. Yeah. So. You know, and I guess if you think about it, like the Atomic Pumpkin beer, Silent Hill has, Silent Hill 2 in particular, has that little kick that if you're not a fan of horror, you know, like like I'm not a huge fan of just, you know, pumpkin beer on its own. It has that little extra kick. It has that little extra something <clears throat> that that makes uh, swallowing the pumpkin pretty enjoyable. And in this case, swallowing the horror would be the really heartfelt story, the beautiful symbolism, and the, uh, the, the execution of it all. So this Halloween, if you are staying inside, staying away from you know other people, <laughs> keeping yourself social distanced, all of those things that I'm sure plenty of people will be doing this uh, season, and you need to snuggle up at home with a great little horror game, because let's let's face it, they're uh, for me they're much more entertaining than sitting and watching a horror movie. But you can do a lot worse in Silent Hill too, and really a lot worse in the Silent Hill franchise. And as as an addition to the conversation we had earlier about horror series, Fatal Frame is another terrific franchise that was legitimately scary. And and interestingly enough, there's a new one coming out for the Switch. And I want to say current-gen consoles. I could be wrong. It was announced uh, at the Switch E3. But there will be a new uh, Fatal Frame. But anyway, Silent Hill 2, New Belgium's Voodoo Ranger Atomic Pumpkin make for a terrific little treat this Halloween. Highly recommend both. Enjoy yourselves. Drink responsibly. And we'll hopefully see you next week. Thank you all for tuning in. I know it's been a while, and uh, we're hoping to be right back on track where we left off. So enjoy your Halloween, and then let's get ready for what's next. Disclaimer. This podcast is produced for your universal listening pleasure. Any statements shared during our program are opinions and experiences of our team and guests. If you disagree with any content presented herein, please find another show before submitting nasty grams. This is a positive vibes only platform. If you love our show and want to connect, share your experiences, or know someone who we should interview on future episodes, 
please don't hesitate to get in touch through our website or Instagram. Thanks for listening to this program brought to you by Daydreamer Network. If you enjoyed the episode, please don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred platform. Your feedback allows us to rank on the best new shows list and continue to grow our podcasts in order to bring more unique and talented storytellers to the network. To check out our shows, including programs about relationships, sports, business, nutrition, leisure, and more, head to www.daydreamernetwork.com. We look forward to seeing you back next week for another great episode. Have a wonderful day.